This is Startup Growth Grill, a podcast for talking tech and chatting growth with diverse startups. We ask hard questions, hunt authentic answers, and get to the bottom of startup success. I'm your host, Kevin McPhee, and this podcast is brought to you by BriefBit, an industry-first centralized RFP platform for media buyers and ad tech vendors. Now let's get started. Our guest today is Charles Havalona, the co-founder of Unip Jobs. Today, we'll just be talking a bit about Unip Jobs, how Charles got it started, and a bit about his marketing strategy. So, Charles, uh, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself and Unip Jobs? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me here, yeah, first problem. of all. Um, so, Unip Jobs is a marketplace for students and graduates to connect with employers through part time internships, co ops, and entry level jobs. I am uh, by trade a developer, and I had to learn about distribution, marketing, sales, um, and over time, I picked up different frameworks along the way to help us um, grow and validate our marketplace. And so I guess I'll start to it and how, how we figure that out along the way. Sure. You want to tell us a bit about what Unip Jobs is? Like, what problem are you solving? What's mm-hmm. your audience? Things like that. Yeah. So the problem we're solving in terms of the student side is, is the employment part. Right. The awareness of where are the opportunities as a student, uh, you know, because as when you're at school, all you're trying to figure out is like, how do I pass my classes? Trying to figure out your life in general. You're too stressed out to do other things. Um, so the motivation for this came from personal experience, then. Yeah, and also I saw my friends struggle. It's just. People around me were, were freaking out at times during school. Um, to step, to take a step back, uh, what I remember this moment um, when we received an email from our career services. Uh, the lady was freaked out and, and sort of scolded us within that email, saying, "How come we didn't go to the career fair?" And you know, in my head, I was like, "Okay, well." One, it was close to midterms. Second of all, it was at a faraway campus. And then lastly, it was freezing. It was snowing. Like there was a, a winter storm. So how can we go to that place? It, it just it didn't make sense. Um, so I thought, is there a better way for for us to connect with employers through technology? So that idea came about that way. Um, on the employer side, what we're solving is reaching to students who couldn't go to the career fairs. Um, what we found out is that millions of dollars are spent by companies hiring campus recruiters to send them to schools, nudging them to go to their career website. Um, another thing that we found out is 90% of the campus recruiters spend like they spend 90% of the time talking to unqualified candidates right because they have to go to school now they have to set up this this presentation and then tell people okay well this is how let's say TD would go to these places like they're gonna say to the, to the students like TD's great you guys should sign up for it look at our culture we have all these amazing opportunities that you can go to. And they have to do that multiple times at different schools. So it's inefficient, you know, coming from a developer's point of view, like this doesn't make sense. Um, 
So you had like your outside perspective, you as a developer mm-hmm. on an industry that doesn't typically have developers, you know, planning or doing the strategizing. Yeah. Um, so how did you go about understanding the employer side? Did you reach out to people in the industry and right. schedule conversations or how did you figure that out? In the beginning, um, when I had, when I, I confidently had enough students, you know, it was only like a few hundred students I had. I started to think, okay, well, I have all these people that sign up within our platform. How do I connect them to employers? So I started actually emailing people and calling employers at the same time when I was at school, saying to them, like, look, hey, Home Depot, hey, Instacart, we have students here. You guys can hire them through our platform. So that's the first step I did. And then what I realized, you know, I, I didn't understand sales or just reaching out to people well so i started reading new thi- uh, i started reading things that helped me frame my thinking of how to talk to people um, and as well how to get feedback right, so developing a bit of sales mm-hmm. experience and the skills yeah for reaching out to people um, if you just want to back up for one second how did you even get the first say like 100 students uh, to sign up and what were they signing up for at that point because i'm assuming you didn't build the whole product and then get students signing up no uh so how we did it was we built this landing page and we created a value proposition you know find local uh, student jobs and we launched it at our own school at sheridan and then you know i hooked up firebase with the emails um, and then I remember this, okay, well, how do we know if this is going to work? I started to think, okay, what are ways for people to find about this landing page? So then I started messaging my friends through uh, Facebook Messenger and Instagram, asking them, could you reshare this link to your friends amongst different groups? And soon enough, people did. And within a few days, we had a couple hundred signups. So that gave me confidence to say, okay, we can continue with this project. Um, cool. So that's how our first few hundred users got into our platform. Cool. I guess while we're on the topic of landing page, um, I know you learned quite a bit about landing page optimization right. and how to build a landing page that will convert over uh, your journey. So maybe you want to talk a bit about that. Like what did the landing page look like initially? What kind of steps did you take to get more conversions, to get more people on it? Things like that. Yeah, so the first thing that I would suggest, right, you build the landing page to validate. It could be, you know, you don't need to have any type of scrolling within it. You just want to have this great value proposition that people can resonate to, that you think this is the group of people that I need to get signups from. Um, it could be, let's say, you're doing, let's say you're, you're, you're a startup CEO who's, um, doing piano lessons for people so you can say something about drive we drive to your home teach your kids piano or something like that um, and then now you distribute amongst people to see if that would work or not uh, but the way i found out how this works is there's this guy called julian shapiro his website is you can just go to his site julian shapiro and just type landing pages optimization and he goes through this detailed step-by-step process of how to build a good landing page. You know, the, the structure of it, 
how to create a good value prop you know, how do you put the the images how many types of action uh, call to action buttons you need because um, that's very important in the beginning where you want to nail the value proposition to make sure that it resonates to your users um, so how do you how do you know when you nailed it you got a lot of signups i think that's that's like the general thing I could tell people is you get more signups when you put it in front of the people who you think is going to use it. Um, it may take some time to figure out, you know, are these the right people? Um, you want to validate also in a way you get feedback from the same people you've, you've got signups for. Or if you think these are the sets of people that you want to get signups from, is you, you ask certain questions. So, uh, like, you can ask certain questions like, Let's say if you want to get payment from them, are you willing to hand over your credit card and sign up right now? If not, what we need to get to see to get to that point. Um, you could also say what's unclear, what unanswered questions are you left with? There's sometimes that when people look at a specific landing page, they have this cut, this step back from like in discussing like this is scammy. This is they're just trying to get me to sign up. Um, so you want to validate in some ways with the users you think. So an important step would be to get your users or your target users in person, get yeah. them to look at the landing page and ask them what they think about it. Yeah. Get some questions. Get some feedback. Yeah. You can also do this in a way where it doesn't have to be the same users. You like in, in the industry you're trying to to get signups. You could you could ask a random stranger that you think um, that you. You could ask and say, okay, well, do you understand this? Because if you can explain it to another person who doesn't understand this industry, and if they get it, I think that's powerful that you know, like you, you nailed it, nailed it down the, in terms of the, the wording. Mm -hmm. So you, it, it's a lot of feedback that you need from, from people. Yeah, so it's kind of an iterative process. Yes, exactly. Until you feel like everyone seems to understand it and mm -hmm. your conversion numbers are looking good. Yeah. Things like that. Because the more people get, the more people get confused at every single sentence you put in your landing page, the more they're going to, your, your bounce rate goes up. So you want to make sure that, you know, with your landing page, it's optimized well in terms of, of content, the wording itself. So what were some of like the metrics, the key metrics you look at when you're deciding whether or not like a certain a specific change to the landing page was good? Um, so the A-B testing, I, so in the beginning, I, I didn't understand all these A-B testing part. Um, what I started doing was I just kept tweaking it every other week and putting it in different Facebook groups to see if there's more signups or not. That's the way I, I, I did it. There's probably better ways right now. And I'm actually going through this process of understanding A-B testing. But I would say if you could see there's more signups in the same, like once you find out where people are hanging out and then you keep launching it in that specific group in, in social media um, and you can say, okay, well, every week we're increasing 5%, 7%. So if you can see that work, then I think you've mm -hmm. hit something there. Yeah. So it sounds like a movement. It's like marketing strategy. So it sounds like you're doing a lot of social, but not necessarily the conventional social ads. It sounds like you're being very proactive and finding specific groups or trying to find your audience online and try to get them to sign up mm -hmm. in more of a, a manual and direct way. Yeah, you want to ma do manual things in the beginning because you want to make sure that 
you still have this direct interaction with people because they will tell you if they don't like it or not. Uh, I think social media is one of the biggest leverage we have in 2019. You know, you can have a direct contact with someone. They can tell you right away this is something they want or not. Right. So it's not just about getting people on the platform. It's also figuring out if you're doing it right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so what kind of stage are you at? Are you still at the stage where you're trying to figure out your value prop to the students or is it more of a, a growth stage at this point? Um, so we've figured out the value proposition. We know that people are going to use it so much so that we um, like TD Canada, you know, their national campus recruitment team reached out to us. So then we felt confident. Okay, so we know that people are going to use this, but we don't have the supply side uh, in terms of we don't have enough numbers nationally. So the way to think about this is we do need to grow in terms of there's there's steps that I've, I've finally learned there's there's a way to, to build a marketplace and there's this thing called the, the asset framework by Eva Lau the creator of uh, co-creator of um, Wattpad so they were able to have 10 million users within I think three years or so but they 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 thought about this in a way, okay, what asset framework means A for atomic unit. And in our case, atomic unit is the job, right? Jobs for students and graduates. We need to have a lot of supply in that platform. And the way we did it is we actually scraped different listings, but though we didn't put it in our platform in a way where it just like we grab it from different places, we actually put it in a system where I have to approve it. So it seems that somebody's posting it. So we supply the um, the, the atomic unit or the, the jobs itself. In, in other places, it could be more stories. Wattpad supplied like 20,000 stories, right? Um, and then S for uh, the asset is see the supply side. Now in our, in our stage, it's now how do we get more students in the platform? So the way we're doing this is that we've built our internal referral systems. Usually you can buy... Um, like subscriptions for this stuff but we decided why not build our own and then integrate it within our platform so we can track users um, so with our referral systems it becomes we hire students within our platform to become campus reps and then we give them this unique referral code to um, to share their friends if they sign up they get a dollar Right. Um, we've, we've talked to students about this. Are you willing to get paid a dollar per referral? And they all said yes. And now they're in our platform. We have about um, a few going to be our campus reps for first cohort. And if you think about this, customer acquisition costs usually for companies and social media ads or other, other initiatives, sometimes it could be $10, $20. Sometimes you can go even for $100. We actually could do it for a dollar. Like that's that's really good. So right now, when you seed it, we're trying to grow super fast in the supply side. And then once we've come to a point where we're, we're satisfied that we have so much supply of the students, now we go and scale the demand side. So we can go back to employers like, look, we have so much students at a short time. We're growing super fast. Do you guys want to come in and hire these students? Yeah. Because yeah, that's always kind of the challenge of marketplaces. You can't really get one side on board when the other side is empty. Yeah. So it always comes to the point, okay, how do we get supply or at least the 
sort of the 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 idea of a supply mm-hmm. at least into the platform so like right now you guys have um, listings coming in from external sources so it, yeah. it seems as though there is a supply yeah um, just to get more students on exactly and then there's always the, uh, the problem of being a startup and not having enough money to just blow it so the yeah. low cost of acquisition for the, the students is key there it is uh, I think that's the part where it just made so much sense in my head and I, I convinced myself like this is gonna work but I also did the calculations and it was it was doable and you know, so when I talk to other people about this, like there's it's airtight. Um, this is a standard playbook I've seen in different marketplaces. Uber, Airbnb, they start do they started a referral system where their users start referring other users to, to get paid. In our case, we're not paying like three hundred dollars to five hundred dollars to do that. It's just a dollar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Because I guess if you're a student and you can refer like a bunch of people, like get like a bunch of people in your class, just like give yep. a talk, like one dollar per person doesn't sound like a lot. But if you, you know, get like half of a class of 100 mm-hmm. people, yep. that's not bad. So we need to figure out on our side, are these students willing to, the way I frame this is like, are they willing to, are they go-getters? Because those are the type of people we want in our platform as, as, as campus rep, but also like we're nudging them to, to you know, pitch in front of a class. Or if you can create um, an event where you're getting experience yourself as a, as a student, then you can use this as um, your springboard for your next job. I think that was a powerful incentive for a lot of them. Right. So, so the way you frame it, this referral um, system is not necessarily a traditional referral system where anyone can do it. Like you just get your friend to sign up, you get like however X amount of dollars. It's more of a, almost like a, a bit of an employment opportunity. Yes. And you provide some sort of coaching, some yep. almost as if they are working for the company. Mm-hmm. So their compensation is purely just referral bonuses though? Yeah. It's all about how their performance is. And you can see if they're doing well or not through our system. And we, yeah, we coach them every week. You know, we, we, we can see whether they're falling off or growing and we've, we've developed this this um, training session with them we have this facebook group that we we created um they can answer questions ask questions and we can answer it to them if they want to create a let's say um an event and they invited 500 students to talk about our platform and half of them sign up that's great also they want support from us because it's pretty scary to to you know you're asking somebody who doesn't have any experience to pitch in front of a large crowd it's daunting so um we we hired this person to work with us and said like we should go to these students if they want help from us so the the coaching the the support is there for them and the more they feel like they're being backed up the more they're going to tell people like hey this this platform's great you guys should sign up right so we're essentially manufacturing word of mouth if you think about it very cool. And I, I think one of the reasons it works so well is that you're getting students to sort of do this, operate this referral system. And students are always looking for experience. It's not even always about the cash. Like the cash yes. is nice too. But if you're positioning it in a way where they get pretty much sales experience, which will help them get jobs in the future. Yep. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a, it's a smart decision to, to, to go forward to that. Yeah. 
Um, so let's go back to um, a bit more on the um, the demand side. So mm -hmm. you said that you had already TD Bank reaching out to you guys. How yeah. did you guys get to the point where you have like big clients reaching out to you? Like, how do you think that they heard about you? So there's a few things that worked and didn't work. Uh, the first thing I would say is PR, uh, public relations. And what I mean by that is it's a combination of reaching out to to blogs or news outlet and content creators the first ever um, big break for us was one of our friends reached out to blog toronto as, as a curiosity whether they would write about us and you know, they pretended they were another person. I didn't know about this until like I was freaking out as why did we have so much signups within a few days? Um, we had about like 800 signups in a couple days. Uh, and what happened was this person, my friend, they pitched to Blog Toronto and then we uh, they sent all these materials of who we are. They did the work for us. And as soon as that happened, other places start to pick up about us and you know people start referring our platform to other friends you can see you know, people were either talking bad about us or talking good so either way we got so many signups and at a certain point uh, the direct the national director of campus recruitment a TD reached out to me and said they wanted to talk to me and they wanted to bring me at uh, their headquarters so that pretty much validated our idea right there where this large company wanted to use the small startups tool and it gave us confidence to continue with the platform. So that's the first part. The other parts was, I think, is just reaching out to companies and you know having this uh, conversation with them saying, we're this startup that we're, we're helping students and graduates connect with employers and could we have a talk and we'd like your advice. So that's how I got in front of them. And I started having all these conversations with all of them to start. At the end of the day, what I found out is they always ask, how many students do you have in your platform? That's at the end of the day. Um, so that's that's why we went back, let's supply to uh, this uh, supply side. Um, so that's how I got in front of, of uh, this, the employers was through PR and, and a bit of sales. So I would say a combination of both helped. It, it does help too that I can say TD is onboarded in our platform. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess one of the one important thing about any marketplace is pretty much you always have to kind of pick one side that you're going to yes. try to blow up first mm -hmm. and figuring out which side that is is something you want to do as early as possible and yeah. so i guess you know talking with the the demand side the employers was what made you realize that okay we need many more students like we need to focus on this yeah before we even bother trying to get these guys on board yes um i talked to about 80 80 plus recruiters and at the end it's like wow. this this has to happen first on the supply side where we need a lot or at least appear we're we're growing super fast right. to get them onboarded yeah and it sounds like a lot of work to be doing all these interviews just to figure out like what direction to move in but 
at the end of the day, like it's much better than building a whole platform or spending a bunch of time yep. doing one thing and then realizing, oh shit, like we shouldn't have done that. Yeah. <laughs> we should have done it the other way. I think one thing that I remember hearing from, uh, so Y Combinator always tells, there's two things you have to do at a startup is talk to users and code. Those two things all the time. And I think a lot of founders tend to, if you're especially technical, you just code, code, code without talking to users. So putting yourself out of your comfort zone to speak to people is, is helpful. It's, it's a bit awkward at times to me when I started. It's like, well, how do I speak to people in a way that I can get in front of them? How will I convince them to even just spend 15 minutes of my time with them? So a lot of growing. Yeah. Did it, did it feel natural to be going out and talking to people at first or was it very no. much against your sort of character? I prefer being in the background, but I realized if we were going to make this work, I needed to grow personally. So, so half the time when I used to talk to them, I, I was nervous and scared. And you can, you can hear when I talked, I'd stutter at times because like, I, I was so nervous thinking like what do they think of me so i'm not a salesperson so over time you'll get used to it it's just a natural thing it's like going to the gym you just get used to it right like training a muscle yeah exactly very cool um so let's talk a little bit more about yourself um like what is i guess what's one of the biggest mistakes that you personally made over this journey um not talking to my users early, as I mentioned there. Like, that was the thing that I kept doing. I just kept coding. You know, I'll talk for them for a bit, but I realize we're not, that our users aren't like developers. Cause I think for me, it's much easier to see where are the other developers. You can see, like, you know, there's Hackers News, there's um, Hacker New, and there's different types. If I was to create a different tool, I could just go online and you know, know where they are. With employers, it's so different. These are recruiters that I didn't know where they hung out. I didn't understand what their day was like. With students, it was easier. Like I knew what was it like to be a student, but as an employer, it was like, I had no clue. So I spent only a few times talking to them and going back to coding. Instead, we should have um, gone and talked to them, give them some design, um, specs and say to them this is what we're thinking of building does it make sense we should have gotten that validation earlier right because you had the background of a student you feel a bit more confident with that part yeah um, so I guess like what was the reason you think you didn't talk to the employers more did you just not realize that it, how necessary it was or was it just kind of like you didn't you didn't want to like you felt awkward doing it in the beginning I felt awkward but also I felt like I knew what I was doing I didn't um <laughs> And I started to figure out, okay, well, why aren't we growing? Why are we getting more employers? Oh, wait, well, we just never talked to them. We never reached out to a lot of them. And as soon as I realized that, then I started setting up meetings. You know, how do you cold reach someone from scratch, you know, without having any warm introductions? Like, I figured that out along the way. Right. And so, I guess, in terms of, like, creating the UI for the employer side, did you... Um, like have kind of sort of versions or mock-ups that you then showed to these people and asked them like, hey, like, what do you think about this? Or did you kind of just intuitively 
understand what kind of components you need to be building just from conversations? How did how did that work? Yeah, so for us in the beginning, I based on the conversations I had, I knew like the goals. The, we picked goals like what is their jobs to be done, right? And then once you figure that out, then you could. So there's two ways to do this because I think we're a startup. It's harder, you know. You kind of have to move faster, and sometimes it feels like you need to just build it. It feels faster. Um, so if you can prototype something quickly. The way we did it is we prototyped something quickly and then launched it and gave it to the employers right away and then see what their response was or how they used it. Then we would go back and see if it worked or didn't work and ask why. If it did work, then we stick with it. If it didn't, we'll go back to the drawing board. So that was our general way of doing things. I think for now, what we're going to be doing for the past few weeks um, is now design mock-ups because I think we've gotten really good at it. Um, there's so many online tools that you can use to build mock-ups quickly and then iterate on it based on the feedback from the users. So that's that's our, our approach in the future. Yeah. So at what point would you consider investing in actual like marketing costs, like doing digital marketing, other forms of marketing? At what point do you think that would be right for you guys? I think that's probably close to... So we're at pre-seed stage, uh, maybe around close to seed stage when you've figured out who your users are, um, where they hang out, what's, what's their persona like. I think when you get to that point where you really understand who they are and you're trying to test this 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 group that you think you're confident enough they're going to sign up the right platform um, for us like we're still doing marketing if you think about it but we're doing it in an unconventional way but it's it's like the cost of acquisition is small yeah um, it's all it's okay to test it out if you do have the funds but i don't know if that's like the right way to do it in the beginning because you don't really know who your users are yet but if you truly do then I think you should try it out. And then now you can figure out, okay, well, let's say we spend $50 or $100 on, on marketing for X users. Now you have to now figure out, okay, so they all saw, let's say 50% of them sign up. How will that translate to sales? That's where you want to figure it out at that mm-hmm. point. Is this actually worth our time? Do we make money out of this? Yeah, so like being able to figure out the ROI, making sure that you have yeah. the capabilities to know what it is. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Yeah, because in our case, it's it sounds straightforward. It's it's much more complex than that. But you know, the way I thought about this is like, okay, well, let's get a lot of people in our platform. Then we tell people that we're growing super fast. Right. We could do social media, PR. We can even like email old employers we used to talk to saying we're growing really fast in a panicky way. Like we have more students. You guys could come hire them on our platform so we can brag about it. And that generates the social proof and the buzz around it. So that's how we're going to that's how I approached it. I'm going to approach it in the future, too. Um, and if you can provide long term relationships it, it's great too with your old users can you can your users refer other users in your platform i'm always for 
the word of mouth because I think it's the most powerful thing you can do in marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you do really need to do advertisement, you know, uh, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, you just have to test it out and see if, it, if it's worthwhile. Yep. Or if you want to target your audience across the web, there's programmatic advertising using ad tech platforms. And as long as we keep the cost very low, I think it's good because like the way we're thinking about this now is that employers we've talked to said they're okay with subscription as long as we have the supply side. And then we can use that money from the subscription to go back and sort of create this engine of referral systems with different campuses. And we can charge more because one of the things we realized aside from hiring people in our platform, employers want the brand awareness. So it's it's sort of an advertisement play for them that they can show, instead of going to campus to showcase their brand to students, we can do it through our platform. So it's sort of an advertisement too on, our, on their side. It just, we, they know that we have so much students in our platform at that point. Cool. So yeah, I guess <clears throat> I didn't ask for the pricing model. So how is it set up right now and how would it be different if you were to do a subscription? So in the beginning, so how we did it is, is we did it for free. And then when we start getting serious about this, I ask, would people pay for this for $20? And 10 people paid $20. And then at a certain point, one company told me, you guys, like, what's wrong with your platform? Is it because, like, it seems like it's, it's for, it's high end, but you guys are charging $20. And they nudge we should charge more so then i was like okay a hundred dollars so people pay for it so is it twenty dollars or a hundred dollars one-time fee per month yeah at the moment it's one-time fee um at a certain point we do have a a subscription of five hundred dollars to do unlimited postings um but at a certain point we're gonna base it on how big is your company what features do you need and are there any other things that you like based based on features and the amount of, of people in our uh, in their in their in their company, because our value goes up if there's a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? So it's a network effect, as they call it. Um, so we we're gonna charge more in the future based on how many students we have, and it's gonna be subscription for large companies. For small companies, we're still trying to figure that one out. But I think w- what I'm trying to do now is like, okay, well, now that I talked about the asset framework. Could we now change the pricing model at the beginning to go back to $20 so that we can have the atomic unit, which is the jobs, can we just have so much of it that we don't have to scrape it ourselves to approve it, right? Because like when I remember the first time I started to talk to other employers, you know, these small companies, they paid 20 bucks and it didn't, they didn't mind. So imagine if I can convince more employers at this point to pay just $20 just so that we can have a lot of jobs yeah. while we continue to build the supply side. Um, and then at a certain point, we convert it to um, a subscription. And it's just a matter of transitioning to that level. But I'm pretty sure we're going to do subscription uh, because at the same time, you know, we're going to be VC funded and venture capitalists like subscriptions. Yeah, recurring yeah. revenue. Yep. It's always nice. It helps. Uh, you know, you don't have to put more sales into it. It's just a bunch of account executives after. Um, so that's pretty interesting how I don't think there's any companies out there in the job market with a subscription. I'm not too sure yet. 
But yeah, I think ours is a play where the way I'm talking to companies now with with the bigger companies, I said you can scale your campus recruitment team without adding more people. So that's the idea in the future. Very cool. Okay, well, I think uh, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you very much, Charles, for coming on. It was great talking with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast by BriefBid. Check out our Twitter to find out about our next guest and to send us questions you'd like us to ask on the show. Mm-hmm.